Good morning. You're just in time. Welcome to the St. Gabriel Cafe, your sacred space to sip on today's local blend of faithful encouragement. Let's start our day together. Good morning, friends. Come on in. Pull up a chair. I'm Dave Orsborn, and Amanda's in a great mood this morning. Uh, yes. Um, and we're excited to have you here with us in the St. Gabriel Cafe, our live and local morning show. Cameron Clutter's our barista. It's Wednesday, the very last day of January, and we continue our celebration of Catholic Schools Week. Joining us uh, this half hour will be Annie Steffes, theology teacher at Bishop Reedy High School. Then at about 8.30, we'll welcome back to the St. Gabriel Cafe, Father Michael Donahue, for a discussion of St. Thomas Aquinas, mercy, forgiveness, and indulgences. All right. We'll get into indulgences this morning. Today is also the feast day of St. John Bosco, the founder of the Salesians and patron of apprentices, school children, editors, and publishers, magicians, and juvenile delinquents. Really? <laughs> and he has a lot to say about faith, education, educators. So we'll be weaving some John Bosco into the conversation as well. Perfect. Good morning, Amanda. <laughs> Good morning, Dave. Prayer? Please. All right. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm. Thank you for another day, Father. Thank you for your goodness, for your blessings, for your mercy, that you are always sustaining us and guiding us and leading us. Lord, we ask to be attentive to that leadership, to your divine providence. Help us to surrender to you in all ways, to let go of those things that we cling to so desperately. Help us to surrender so that we can just know your providential care and your goodness. Lord, we ask for an increase in faith. We ask for increase in love. We ask for the ability to serve those you have put in our lives. We ask for all these graces. And we ask for the intercession of Mary. She would lead us ever closer to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. You were amused. Yeah. <laughs> Are you laughing at me? No. I'm <laughs> laughing la- with me. With you. Yeah. <laughs> I just had a silly thought. That's all. Okay. You want to know my thought process? Do you want to share your thought process? It's, it's just silly. But, okay, well, because we pray as a team before, even before going on air. So Cam mm-hmm. said this beautiful prayer and um, it something akin to talking about god like talking about the son talking about the father and and one which really isn't that unusual for prayer right exactly but it but it just brought to mind like oh yeah like that's what we get to do every day we get to come be in the cafe with all of our friends and we just get to talk about the goodness of god so one that made me very happy yeah and then my next thought as i was putting on my headphones was you know those people who wear headphones all the time and they start to get an indent in their head well that happened to us (laughs) I don't, I don't know why that came into my head. Okay. But it was kind of a funny thought. <laughs> so there you go. That's why I was laughing so, this morning. Yeah, so that when people see us, they'll say, 
yeah, there is an indent. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, <laughs> so I was quite happy thinking Great, about the something thought of more God. to worry about. Yeah, and then my thoughts took a funny turn. <laughs> Maybe Cam can check to see if that is an actual. Uh, yeah, um, like gamers will shave their head and then realize that they have an indent from all the times that they wear their headphones. I don't think we're in danger, Dave, though. Don't worry. I'm not going to be able to get rid of that thought. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Maybe we can move on to another better yeah. thought. Maybe well, you know, I, but, today. You know, I'm also at the stage of life where it's less of a concern. You guys, you know, have so many so decades many ahead left. of you <laughs> where an indented headphone head yeah more of a problem huh uh, could be <laughs> wow dave you're your old joke to yourself we've grown so much <laughs> the show is young amanda the show is young. <laughs> so today's gospel is from mark uh chapter six one through six great passage and i think uh there's going to be a lot for us to reflect on mm, yeah. and i think different things may have stood out to us this morning so So Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, Jesus departed from there and came to his native place accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. They said, where did this man get all this? What kind of wisdom has been given him? What mighty deeds are wrought by his hands? Is he not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his native place, and among his own kin, and in his own house. So he was not able to perform any mighty deed there, apart from curing a few sick people by laying his hands on them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Mr. Clutter, what stood out for you? Yeah, uh, I actually, so I listened to the Damascus Daily Prayer Lab this morning right before our show started Mm -hmm. if you tune in at 7 55 every morning you know what i'm talking about um aaron richards who's the one of the executive directors at damascus and is a good friend and mentor of mine um was sharing this idea that also stuck out to me was um simply that last line it says jesus he he was amazed at their lack of faith and aaron said what i'm going to echo right now and kind of expand upon that that what sticks out to me in that is that Jesus cares about my faith, like me individually. Like, it's not just like, oh, church, you know, I hope all of you have good faith collectively. You know, it's not like a, like, it's not like an iPhone battery that we're all trying to, you know, charge up together, but it's me personally, my faith and Jesus cares about it. And he's, he's amazed at these like individual people's lack of faith expanding on that what that sticks out to me is I I just felt like the Lord was highlighting there's a chair at the table for me if I want it if I choose it if I have 
like if I grow throughout my life in that faith for it constantly, like, you know, building and building and building that, that trust, that faith in the Lord. Um, Jesus won that chair for me on the cross up in heaven. I, sometimes I'm overwhelmed by like the, the scary thought that there's a lot of empty seats in heaven because there's people who, who don't take it seriously, who, who sit in that like lukewarm lack of faith and say, you know, this is good enough for me when they don't recognize that like that chair's not just like some dinky little folding chair, you know, at the table. Mm. Jesus didn't just like pull it out of the broom closet because he heard you were coming, you know, like, like he's a carpenter. He built that mm. and he, and he built it for you with you in mind individually. And, and we get to partake. We get to participate in that. We, we have a chance at eternal, you know, glory and happiness and bliss with God in heaven in, in our very own chair. <laughs> Um, yeah. And, and just like how much the Lord cares about me individually, I think is what really struck me today in this, in this gospel passage. Nice. Thank you. Amanda. Um, actually I was struck by the same passage that Cam was, but this is how Lexio works because I was struck by it in a very different way. And there, so Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. Right. And so I would I want to know all of Jesus's thoughts about me, right? But the lack of faith is not one of them that he I want ascribed to me. Yeah. And uh, so I was just struck by like, oh, that just hits the heart in a way that I hope um, he never has to look at me and be amazed at my lack of faith. Um, and John Bosco, actually, who we celebrate today, there's a part of his med- the meditation of the day in the um, Magnificat, and it says, Oh, with what love, with what tenderness does God embrace a sinner who returns to him? He goes as far as to forget the sins of the repentant sinner, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, going back to that idea of he was amazed at the lack of faith just made me think of, I think, a conversation we have the other day, maybe with... Um, John Edwards. John Edwards, yeah, mm-hmm. and he was just talking about how um, in men's group, he was sharing how we're kind of scared sometimes, and I think everyone experiences this, but it was just triggered by that conversation of of just our, our fear sometimes of what if the Lord won't forgive me or going to confession is really mm-hmm. scary, and yet, um, oh, I wonder if sometimes our Lord is amazed by our lack of faith because he just wants to shower his goodness upon us. And, uh, yeah, so I was, I was just struck by that this morning of, ah, like I, I need to, need to for sure focus more on the love of God, the mercy of God. Nice. Nice. I got something completely different. (laughs) I love Lexio. (laughs) And it's based on my own shortcomings, my own frailties, um, earlier in the passage, their astonishment turned to muttering and murmuring. Mm, mm-hmm. So many who heard him were astonished. You know, where do you get all this? What kind of wisdom has been given him? What mighty deeds are wrought by his hands? And then, well, wait a minute. Is he not the carpenter? 
the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. (laughs) And how often they're they're just in, in human weakness. Praise can turn to um, muttering and murmuring. You know, mm. I really like this person, but uh. or, you know, I, I see um, these good things. Mm. But then there's you know some some uh, a need for forgiveness in the relationship, or there's some hurt, or some moral shortcoming that you see in somebody else. And so it goes from that praise and, um, or just gratitude for the person. Then the mind turns to, yeah, but he's not all that, or she's not all that. Mm. And, um, especially then when those thoughts turn to words and the damage that can be done, uh, to that other person, to relationships and in gossip to, um, to harm them in front of others. And the, there's the passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage one another and build one another up. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's just remembering, well, how, if I have those thoughts to bring them to the Lord, repent and, and, and make that a part of my prayer, but not, not every thought needs to be said. Mm-hmm. And that cesspool that is social media, <laughs> you know, why, um, why do opinions need to be made public mm-hmm. in that way? And, and just don't. Right, especially if they're not charitable. <laughs> right. Yeah. But how often, uh, especially within the church, do we... Uh, tear down those that are closest to us mm-hmm. and um, who are worthy of respect and benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. And so to avoid, you know, Aquinas talks about rash judgment to avoid rash judgment and just sometimes you don't have to say it. That's right. So that's what I got from it. I love that we all got something different and it's, I think it's beautiful that the the Lord works differently in each of us, and and then we can all be edified by each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So walk with it today, friends. Um, yeah, pray through that passage. See uh, how the Lord is speaking to you. St. John Bosco's feast day, and he has a lot to say. Good things about education and educators. On educators... An educator is one devoted to the well-being of his students, and for this reason ought to be ready to face every inconvenience, every fatigue in order to achieve his goal, which is the civil, moral, and intellectual education of his students. We're thrilled to bring into the St. Gabriel Cafe Annie Steffes, a theology teacher at Bishop Reedy high school. Annie, good morning. Good morning, guys. Happy Catholic Schools Week. Yeah, and to you. Thank you for your service and for your vocation. It's a pleasure. How long have you been at it? 
Wow. I've been in this diocese 26 years, and before that, um, six years in um, the South Bend Diocese of Indiana. Outstanding. And were you a Catholic student as well? I was. I was one of the few Catholics in South Carolina when I was a child. Um, I went to this little school, Blessed Sacrament, and sat with 41 kids in a Quonset hut on the hot black (laughs) car. In a Quonset hut? Yeah, do you know what that is? No. No. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm really dating myself here. Um, it's sort of like a thing you would see on an army base. It's literally like oh, a metal okay. half circle. Yeah, okay. Plop down on a plank floor, right? But our school, we only, you know, we only had like one Catholic school. So all the Catholics went there. And uh, yeah, it was a little warm. Black wool, watch plaid uniforms and Quonset huts. is that where your spark to pursue theology came came from yeah i you know that's a question i would have probably would have answered differently in different seasons of my life you know Mm. maybe i did it first for my parents and then my children and um but i think yeah that amazing sense of belonging uh, it's probably the thread that i could pull through all of this um being one of the few catholics in south carolina you know I have red frizzy hair. My maiden name's O'Donnell. You know, uh, <laughs> we definitely kind of stood out. And then, you know, getting on that bus and going to school every day, even the names of people sounded right. And the fit just, you know, made such an imprint on me hmm. that I think that that deep sense of belonging is, like I said, that thread I could pull through all these years um, of just wanting to be a part of the church and wanting to know more, and then kind of wanting to be able to give that back. Annie Steffes, theology teacher at Bishop Reedy High School. So then how long have you been in the uh, Diocese of Columbus? Uh, we moved here in 98, and the very first day we moved here, we went to St. Michael, and that was history. I registered and started working there in the DRE office. So I've been at several different parishes in different capacities from three-year-olds to high school, so everyone has been a blessing. I'm sure that's quite a difference to teach three-year-olds <laughs> versus high school. Uh, no offense to my students, but it's not as different as you might think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> because of their awe and wonderment? Yes, exactly. that's it. Yes, yeah. they're just sheer joy of being in my class. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> But they are, their wonderment is just different. You know, the energy is yeah. very similar. You can kind of see their little personalities at a very young age. Um, and I think that's the key. You just said it, is tapping into that sense of, you know, what brings them awe and what brings them wonder. You know, how do we, at the age of, you know, 14 through 18, bring that same joy to our students? You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's really the key, isn't it? Very much, very much. And in, in theology education, especially at the high school level, um, to express theology, the love of Jesus, beyond just a, um, a requirement, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and make it something that's so foundational uh, to them for the rest of their lives. That, that's got to be a challenge as well. You know, it is a challenge, but I think you guys just touched on it. It's, it's really just letting them know on a daily basis 
they are beloved. They are God's beloved. They are my beloved. Um, I always found such solace, you know, and holiness just going into Mass and kneeling down mm-hmm. and and feeling that, if you will, you know, Holy Spirit just wash over me. And I think that, you know, when we look around in our room, I'm seeing, you know, 33 little miracles all throughout the day. Time I time love again. that. Yeah. And, 33 uh, miracles. Yeah, well, I have about 200 miracles, but <laughs> or more. Everyone here is a miracle. Shout out to all the, the Bengals fans today. But, you know, I think that's the key to keep in mind is we all need to feel that sense of belonging and to know that we are beloved. Mm-hmm. And how do we feel that, right? We learn that through the other human being miracles in our life. Who is touching us today, reaching out to us, you know, being holy to them. And um, I think... Every educator, you know, knows that idea that they aren't going to care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I would say in the theology department, that role is even more important. You know, that it's, it's big, it's huge to imagine to walk into that space. It is something different. You know, it's, it's kind of like in the story of Moses, right? And the story of Abraham and all these people, like, there's something different here. And we really want them to know that by the way that we think and talk and act and not just the content, right, but the bigger mm-hmm. picture. Mm. You know, Annie, I think that makes all the difference in the world, the way that you are approaching your vocation of teaching with, really, it sounds like a spiritual motherhood. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I can tell that by the way that you talk about your students, you know, seeing them walk in these little miracles, right, and yeah. getting to experience, okay, well, what makes them excited and, and how to bring them to a true relationship with Christ and it actually makes me think of, I used to teach confirmation and, um, I was in a poor neighborhood and, uh, there's some of the kids were really struggling and, and right. one of them was even a teen mom. And, and I think she carried some shame with that. And so sure. we were just talking one day and, um, I shared with her and I, I kind of wanted to surprise her. I said, well, you know, I'm a mom too. And she's like, really? And I said, yes, I get to be a spiritual mom to each and every one of you. And of course I'm yeah. not a biological mom. Right. But I could just see her like breathe and rest in that like, oh, yeah, right. um, because yeah, I think she felt that I, I loved them. Right. And right. I think that makes a huge difference in education. I do, too. I really, truly, uh, you know, I would say I'm more of a grandmother now, <laughs> which I also find great joy in. But I do feel that, you know, I I think for many kids, this six or seven hours is their safest, best part of their day. And we have to keep that in mind in our Catholic schools. You know, we educate because we're Catholic, not because they are. Not be- hmm. Even though they're struggling, no matter who they are, you know, we come to share that with them. And, you know, I think this vocation is, it, it really is a way of passing on, you know, that imprint. What does it really feel like to know, even in our darkest moments, like you were just saying, you know, or, or in the shame of sin, like with this young mother, how how do we carry out that calls it let them know right is it that little you know pat on the shoulder or is it that word that says i get it you know i love you the way that you love your child or you know all those constants that we can bring them in those seven hours you know are we a constant touchstone for them you know sharing what christ might say or do or you know how he might heal them and and i think that's what we keep in mind every day and i and i would say you know Working here at Bishop Reedy, I I don't think I've ever found 
a staff of people who care more truly deeply about the success of these children in every way. It's really beautiful to be around, you know, every day just and feel that sort of community and, and hope. Mm. That's so beautiful. Annie Steffes, um, in your time as a, a teacher, an educator, have you had the opportunity to see maybe some of these aha moments in, uh, in a student just recognizing just the greatness of, of maybe coming to Christ or connecting the dots of, okay, this is not something I'm just learning, but this is something relational? Sure. You know, right now uh, we have two students who have let us know that they would like to be baptized and mm. confirmed. And that is, to me, the ultimate beauty, right? Like, how do we see the seeds that we're planting for sometimes 35 years come to fruition? And this has only happened a couple times in my career, don't get me wrong. Sure. <laughs> but when a student has that feeling or that sense, and, and whether it is a piece of Scripture or a story that we tell or the beautiful liturgy of the Mass, something that touches them, you know, when you get that day in and day out, it does have the potential to really, truly change. And so when we see this, you know, I just had a student tell me yesterday that he and his siblings are coming into the church on Easter. You know, what a beautiful thing to be excited about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, half the time we're like, why would you want to become Catholic, you crazy kids? But, you know, <laughs> they when they are excited about it, it is so renewing. You know, we're really a resurrection people. And when we see that resurrected in our kids, Oh my gosh, there's nothing there's nothing more more truly moving than than to see their excitement for the sacraments and to live as a Catholic. Well that joy and that excitement must permeate the classroom then. Absolutely. You know, it's it's really I don't know, I, when I tell people I'm a high school teacher, a lot of people grimace and oh, how do you do that? And I kind of think how do you do it without that? You know, how do you not have this community um this this joy just to see the kids kind of grow up, you know, and in a school this size, we really do get to see that. Um, I mean, there's some I've had for three years, you know, and it is a beautiful thing to see them grow and mature and, and really start to be able to share their faith with their other classmates, you know, not just with me, but with their classmates, you know, it's, it's really quite, quite nice to see that growth and maturity and faith. It's, it's beautiful. Mm. St. John Bosco, on the goal of education, says for, for the student, for you to become the consolation of your family, the honor of your country, good citizens on earth in order to become one day blessed inhabitants of heaven. Wow. That's beautiful. That's, yeah. And any stuff is... Uh, we celebrate you and our Catholic schools today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. And you're so welcome. You're probably heading into class. Oh, in a minute. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Have a wonderful day. You God, as well. God bless you, Annie. Uh huh. Bye. Bye. Hmm. That was very nice. Mm-hmm. We're going to come back with Father Michael and talk about all things Aquinas including mercy, forgiveness, and indulgences. So stay with us here in the St. Gabriel Cafe.
Heavenly Father, today I pray for our suffering nation, that you would raise up godly leaders with hearts and minds open to your truth. I pray for our government leaders, our military, and our first responders. I beg that in your mercy you would replace division with unity, hatred with love, evil with purity, chaos with peace. Most of all, I pray that the knowledge of your goodness and sovereignty will spread across this nation, setting hearts afire. But I also humbly recognize that I play an important part of that process in the way I treat every person you send my way. Therefore, Lord, open my eyes and heart and let me not be blinded by my own understanding. When I am tempted to take an us-against-them viewpoint, help me rather to see each person as a precious son or daughter of God. And then, Lord, give me the grace to love that person as you do. You have created me for such a time as this, Lord, and I am ready to do your will. Amen. Do you have a minute for lasting happiness? Living virtuously is the way to freedom, happiness, and holiness. To grow in virtue, we must learn about it, practice it, and persevere in it. This is what the saints have achieved with excellence. An excellent example of the virtue of magnanimity is seen in St. Paul Meeke. He lived magnanimity heroically by confidently seeking to do great things for God despite persecution. Paul was a convert and Jesuit seminarian who was captured by the Japanese government and sentenced to death. At his crucifixion, Paul practiced magnanimity by asking God to forgive his captors. Let us ask St. Paul Miki to pray for us, that we may grow in magnanimity. Educate yourself in virtue. Learn more at educationinvirtue.com. I'm Lori Crock, and this is a Holy and Healthy Minute. We see in scripture that people were astonished and amazed over and over at the teaching and preaching of Jesus and his public ministry. From Luke 5, 26, Then astonishment seized them all and they glorified God. And struck with awe, they said, We have seen incredible things today. They hung on Jesus' every word, were amazed by his teaching, preaching, healing, and forgiveness of sins. Do we also experience astonishment at the words of Jesus? Are we awestruck when he reveals to us how to resolve a problem? Are we amazed when he heals us physically or spiritually? St. Augustine said, In my deepest wound I saw your glory, and it dazzled me. Let us pray for eyes to see the amazing works of Jesus, and to be dazzled by his generous love. Amen. Welcome back, friends, to the St. Gabriel Cafe. I'm Amanda Miller. I'm Dave Orsborn. Welcome back to the cafe. Apparently, Amanda, that indent on, on your head, it's not going to be permanent. <laughs> Thank you, Cam, for being such a faithful barista uh, and looking that up for us. It's part of my job. That's headphone. I'm trying to think of, a, of how you would say it medically. Headphone head. I have no so, idea. <laughs> so. If you missed the beginning of the cafe this morning, that makes absolutely no sense to you. Don't worry. So. It's in our archives. Go to podcasts <laughs> on our website. <laughs> you can relive that moment. Father Michael Donahue, welcome back to the cafe. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. we were. Um, you were here for the conversation that we just had with Annie uh, on celebrating Catholic School Week. 
you're a product of Catholic schools as well. Absolutely. Uh, growing up in the Fargo, North Dakota area, I went to Catholic schools from kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, so the, the diocesan Catholic schools in, in Fargo. Mm-hmm. Is that where you were introduced to Aquinas then? Actually, it was. I do remember being introduced to St. Thomas Aquinas a little bit in some of my theology classes, I think especially in high school, Mm -hmm. and occasionally going to to find uh, little facts uh, about things uh, or uh, about theology or about the sacraments from Aquinas. Um, Yeah, not not quite realizing the the great import of Aquinas at the time, but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it it was certainly a foundation. (laughs) Yeah. So then you went from Fargo. Where'd you go to school then? I or went to college. I went to college at North Dakota State University. So in Fargo mm-hmm. as well. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Further exposed to Aquinas at that point? Um, not not quite so much. I studied math and physics. So mm-hmm. I, it, it was more of just, um, yeah, I, I knew about Aquinas. Uh, again, occasionally referenced him for, for some things uh, uh-huh. when I was involved at the Newman Center at NDSU. Um, but when I really... Uh, got to know St. Thomas Aquinas was when I became a Dominican, uh, mm-hmm. really received that formation. As I do, sometimes I'm going to take us on a little bit of a tangent. Um, servant of God, Michelle Dupont, mm-hmm. who I've just come to know a little bit, is one of our most recent servants of God, a young lady from North Dakota who passed away from cancer not too long ago. I believe she passed on Christmas Day in 2015. Okay. Focus missionary. Mm-hmm. And was, did she go to North Dakota State? She did. She did. Okay. So the, the chaplain uh, at NDSU, he's still the chaplain there. He, uh, he knew Michelle. Um, he was the chaplain during my time there as well. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think I ever personally met Michelle, but I know a lot of people who knew her and were close friends with her. May have hit her with a snowball or something at some point. You think <laughs> she was no? she uh, was before my time at oh, NDSU. Okay. Okay. Yep, yep. <laughs> I, I don't know why that popped into my head that you would be hurling a snowball across the quad or whatever. But uh, apparently, there's a documentary out on her now that my daughter's mm-hmm. at University of Mary, and they had a screening of a, a new documentary on Michelle. Yeah, so. I know that'll be getting some wider um, release a little bit later, uh, and I, I want to see it, but it, it's not quite available yet. I don't think for wider public something to look forward to but Mm -hmm. i digress we want to talk about saint thomas aquinas yes his feast day was last sunday Mm -hmm. and we're celebrating now the jubilee of uh, the 750th anniversary of saint thomas's death and that continues until his feast day january 28th of 2025 which is also then the 800th anniversary of his birth. So I'm bringing some math into this for you, Father. That's right. Perfect. So. I love it. <laughs> so what, when when did you start to pursue your vocation as a Dominican friar? Um, I first really met the Dominicans. Uh, it was during my time at NDSU, just through being involved with Focus okay. at, at the Newman Center. Going to Focus conferences had some kind of, well... I would say chance, but you could also say providential encounters with Dominican friars, uh, mm-hmm. which then piqued my interest. And then uh, these led to, you know, further inquiries into the Dominican order and then realizing, oh, I think this is for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then from there, uh, obviously, you went much deeper into mm-hmm. the angelic doctor 
as he's known. Why is he called the angelic doctor? Um, well, because he's cherub-like. <laughs> <laughs> well, he certainly talks all about angels, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, just to the the breadth of his theology and and everything like that. Okay, um, yeah. Okay. Most probably best known for the Summa. Exactly. So his his most well-known work is the, Thuma, the Summa Theologiae. Mm-hmm. There we go. Get my syllables right. <laughs> um, which, uh, interestingly enough, if you read, uh, I think it's in his prologue, is a work of theology for beginners. Um, and so he, he structures it because... Uh, as he describes it, all the, the works of theology uh, for students up to that point were more occasional, or they were working from, say, the scriptures, or they were repeating topics and everything like that. And so he wanted to sit down and write this work of theology that would teach students uh, according to the order of learning. Okay. Yeah. So. Still pretty intense. Still pretty intense. Uh, it's... Uh, even though he says it's for beginners, it's it's a deep work. There's a lot to it. It does make one wonder what would the the next step have been if he would have continued writing. Exactly. <laughs> what would advanced theology look like? <laughs> <laughs> how how should um, the layperson approach the Summa? And Cam, I mean, you're you're a theology major. Also, you came through Ohio Dominican University, so. I mean, everyone chime in here because... I like to say I'm a little Dominican in that way. I'm not a third-order Dominican, but I am a little a little baby Dominican. Yeah. So how does a layperson uh, approach the Summa? What's the best way to to crack it open? Um, In my experience as a layperson, now granted, I, I, not everyone has a works toward a theology degree too, but in my experience as a layperson, I think... Um, I I always so the way the summa is structured is is Aquinas sets up this like you know idea to start just like with a question at the very beginning and then he's like and here's let me beef up the argument here's all these objections to why this premise that is true should be false or or vice versa you know um you know is a sacrament something that actually gives grace to us and then he goes through a bunch of arguments on why it doesn't. And then he's like, actually, it does give grace. So that's actually my recommendation to any layperson who says, hey, I want to read Thomas Aquinas is skip the objections and start with like where where Aquinas says this thing is true. Jump straight to I answer that. Correct. <laughs> read the question, jump to I answer that. And then come back and start reading the other parts around it. Agreed. So. What would you say, Father? Is that would fair? You? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great place to start. Uh, you you want to get to the what Saint Thomas is saying about that particular question first. Um, yes, the objections are important, especially just considering like the arguments of the day. Those would have been things that Aquinas was encountering uh, either from other scholars in, in that period or from his own teaching of students. These would have, would have been things that they brought up. That's what shows up in the objections. Um, and that's actually where you can get into some very interesting things, but I think that's further reading, let's say, is the objections and then the responses to the objections, which kind of sandwich the, uh, the, I answer that, the respondeo in the center of the, uh, of the, of each article. Mm-hmm. I mean, truths are eternal, right? Mm-hmm. So it, they were as, um, true in Aquinas' time as they are today. 
Is that also the case with the objections? So, I mean, are the the objections that are stated there in the SUMA still hold water today? I think so, especially if, say, he's drawing from, like, some ancient heresies, which really, once you learn about, say, some of the, the most common heresies, these are things that keep popping up again and again and again, just under different names. And mm -hmm. so he, he brings these up, and you're like, wait, hold on. I think that way. <laughs> And then you, you come to the response and it's like, okay, I, I see what you're getting at and how this is actually, uh, according to the principles you've laid out, this doesn't actually hold. Good, good. Father Michael Donahue, a friar at St. Patrick's here in Columbus. We're talking about Aquinas as we begin the celebration of the 750th anniversary of his death in the Jubilee year, which I promised our friends that we would talk about indulgences. So... Let's talk about indulgences. This is tied into the Jubilee itself, right? So mm -hmm. um, the indulgence can be obtained by making a pilgrimage to a holy site connected to the Dominican order. Do we have one of those here in Columbus? That's right. St. Patrick's Parish. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, uh, so many of our friends are, are familiar with, uh, with St. Patrick. So can, that's condition number one, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Make a pilgrimage to a holy site. Um, devote a suitable time to pious recollection, including praying the Lord's Prayer, reciting the Creed, and invoking the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Thomas Aquinas. So that can be done there at St. Patrick's as well. Absolutely. In the context of Mass, confession, mm -hmm. praying a rosary there in the church. Yeah, actually, Father, maybe it would be helpful. Could you just lay some groundwork for us? What is an indulgence and what are the requirements? Sure. Well, to answer what is an indulgence, I think we maybe need to back up a little bit and just talk about confession and what that does. Yeah. So confession, of course, the sacrament, we bring our sins to Christ through, uh, through the, the work of the priest as well, who's hearing the confession. And what is wiped away is the guilt of those sins. But there's still something of the effects, the consequences of those sins, we might say, or as the church talks about it, the temporal punishment mm. that can still remain uh, from those sins. So even though the guilt is wiped away, something of the temporal punishment still remains. That's also why the, the priest imposes a penance at the end of each confession, is for the sake of the penitent to, uh, through that work, to remove some of that temporal punishment. But that's also uh, what indulgences get at, is removal of that temporal punishment. Um, so we, we could talk about either plenary indulgences, which remove all the, the temporal punishment that's lingering uh, for a person, or partial indulgences, which remove at least some of it. Um, so. so for greater understanding, what mm -hmm. is an example of temporal punishment? What would I experience if I have some temporal punishment? <laughs> Well, <laughs> what, this, is, what, what does that even mean? <laughs> this comes to a head uh, at your death. And we think about, uh, you know, are, are we ready to see God face to face at the time of our death? Or is there still something remaining on our souls? And that's where that temporal punishment especially comes into play is we might think about that with our time in purgatory. Mm. Um, that's what's being removed from us at that point. So the analogy that I've heard is throwing a baseball through a window, right? I mean, so guilt. I feel like this is something you've done before, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it was the living room window. Got it. <laughs> so you go to confession, 
your your guilt is taken care of at that point but there's mm-hmm. still a broken window that has to be taken care of mm-hmm. and is that is that the temporal punishment then that yeah that's yeah. fixed exactly boom and yeah. not only that it, it running with like partial indulgences and, and plenary indulgences too. like a partial indulgence might fix the window but there's still glass on the floor you know mm. and so okay. there, there can mm-hmm. even be levels of it where where we get to experience god's you know abundant mercy for us and and that's with this plenary indulgence that's celebrating aquinas's jubilee um it's a it's a plenary indulgence it's it's full it it gives us you know it, it fixes the window and sweeps up the glass exactly okay put it in that's Dave helpful. terms mm-hmm. <laughs> so 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 what we have the opportunity is through this plenary indulgence um, is to visit maybe St. Patrick's or any other Dominican site during this time of celebrating St. Thomas Aquinas Jubilee year and receive one of these indulgences. Exactly. Uh, but of course, that uh, there's always the usual conditions that go with indulgences. Yes, important. Tell us about that. <laughs> and that's Father. what I was getting to. Okay, so there are conditions attached. That's right. Okay. Uh, so just kind of a basic condition of receiving an indulgence is that um, first and foremost, you have to uh, strive to be detached from any and all sin, including venial sins. That's a big one. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of that is also making a, a sacramental confession, either before or after uh, the, the actual action that you're doing uh, mm-hmm. to receive whatever indulgence. Um, you're supposed to receive communion on that, that day that you're trying to receive the indulgence. And then you also are supposed to pray for the intentions of the Pope, um, which uh, I, I have a copy of the Manual of Indulgences here before me. Uh, and reading through some of this stuff, it explains, like, what, what does that actually mean? And it says, well, praying an Our Father and a Hail Mary for the Pope suffices for okay. praying for his intentions. As we often do at the, at the conclusion of the rosary. Exactly. So, yep. Got it. Got it. Now, this indulgence can either, correct me if my language is off here, either applied to the person myself or to a soul in purgatory. Exactly. Okay. So if I broke the window, fantastic. If I have my granddad who perhaps did the same thing and broke the window and it needs to be fixed, I can apply my, my grace, my blessings from the indulgence to my granddad. Exactly. Sweet. (laughs) Um, Father Michael, in terms of detachment from sin, okay, we said, okay, that's a, that's a big one, right? So let's maybe ask what's a good way to approach that? Because is there a difference between the desire not to do it again versus just accidentally falling into the weakness? How do we view this detachment from sin? I would say, try to think of it in terms of um, like, striving not to do these sorts of things again, but also recognizing that we are fallen human creatures. Uh, so the fact that we will sin again is is kind of always present there, but uh, at the very least, we want to not, uh, how to put this, not go about still desiring those sins in some sure. way, saying like, okay, I'll go to confession, but I still kind of want to do it again. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's what we want removed from us, um, to to be detached from those sins. So the person seeking the indulgence maybe might have a fear of, well, how do I know if I'm completely detached from this sin and if I'm even going to obtain this indulgence? 
at least what I think I hear you saying, Father, is well, at least have the desire there and don't mm-hmm. be scrupulous about because okay, it's possible we'll fall back into sin, but have the the desire, the cultivated desire not to fall into sin again. Right, right. And I think uh, I was reading through uh, this manual of indulgences last night, and I think it, it talked a little bit about that where um, like even if you're not perfectly detached from sin um, and you do some work that has, say, a plenary indulgence attach, uh, attached to it, at the very least, you can still gain a partial indulgence. So you can have confidence that, you know, some of that temporal punishment is being wiped away. Uh, whether or not it's everything is is another matter. But uh, at the very least, we, we can take consolation in that. Mm. And I think that's just indicative of the mercy of God, right? He's like, exactly. I still want to shower graces on you. Don't worry. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's what I'm coming back around to. I'm a, a, a convert. But what I'm seeing here through the conditions or the requirements of receiving the indulgence. Yeah, the indulgence is um, outstanding. What a, what a blessing that the church is, is giving us. But if not as much or, or more so, we have the graces of the sacraments uh, as the requirements that we're, I mean, so confession, mm-hmm. mass, praying for the Holy Father. I mean, there's a lot of grace attached to those steps and, and, and not to look at it as hurdles to overcome in order to get to the indulgence, but grace to receive on the way. That makes sense? Exactly. Okay. Hey, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, those opportunities for grace are, again, just a, a, a gift of the church that... Uh, that that Christ has given us to to help us along the way, and of course we should be pursuing those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I often think that way with the sacrament of confession in particular, too, Dave. I think um, a lot of people in the Catholic Church can have a fear, like you were saying, Amanda, of of even going to confession to begin with. I have to tell my sins to somebody, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I let me take that idea and set it, you know, to the side for just a second. Um, I think another thing that I hear a lot of people saying, I have a lot of conversations with is people who, um, when they question the reality of God, often wonder to themselves, well, you know, if God is so real, why can't I hear him? Now, one thing that's always been helpful for me with the sacrament of confession is if I want to get so close to God that I can hear him, where is a better place to do that than in the sacrament Mm. of confession when I'm literally having a conversation with him in the booth, you know, father, I'm sure you've spent a lot of time in, in the box. So we're at St. Patrick's downtown and, and what a beautiful moment just to like, um, see these people, hear these people, you know, just encountering the Lord in, in the confessional and, and recognizing his mercy his his grace that that gets poured out upon them is is so abundant and and they just get to like you know receive that and and isn't that what the the grace of the sacrament of confession is ultimately is that that place to just sit and or kneel and and receive absolutely and i have to say in in my time as a priest which is less than a year but uh, already uh, hearing confessions has become one of my favorite things to do as a priest, just to offer that mercy, uh, hours upon hours of it, um, to these people. 
Um, and just even to be able to hear in their voices something of that relief of them receiving that mercy. And by the end of the confession, the, there's so many of those moments where I can hear that something has changed. Mm -hmm. Have you been to one of our men's conferences or to the women's conference yet? I have not had the opportunity yet. Are you going this year? Are you going to be hearing confessions? Um, I Where I'm getting at, I, I mean, you, 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 okay, <laughs> well, go ahead and sign up. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, I hear it over and over again from both uh, the attendees at the women's and the men's conference. You know, we'll have about 55, 60 confessors hearing between two and 3,000 confessions that mm. day. And just from both um, the people that are going to confession as well as the priests, just the grace <laughs> that is abounding. And seeing the priests come out after a couple hours and the joy that they have received because of the grace that they've imparted through through the sacrament is, is just one of my favorite parts uh, of the conferences. It, 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 it's breathtaking, breathtaking. Mm -hmm. What advice, Father, What coming with these conferences, we have a lot of people returning to the sacrament of confession after perhaps decades. What's the right way, say, for person going to the conference, returning to the sacrament of confession after a real long time, what's the best way for them to prepare for that confession? Well, I'd start by reminding them that, you know, the, the priest is not there to, you know, uh, embarrass them or to, to judge them in, 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 this, in that sense of like for what they have done. His, his role is to bring them God's mercy. Mm. Uh, so just to, um, like alleviate that fear, first and foremost, going into it. Uh, but the important thing to bring to confession are all those mortal or serious sins since your last confession. So in terms of just making that good examination of conscience, that means just going back through your life and thinking about uh, what are those serious moments where I have sinned against God in some way. Uh, that's what the uh, is really important to bring. Uh, and then, of course, any venial sins that you can remember as well. Um, and if you forget stuff, that's all right. Uh, God in his mercy uh, sometimes allows us to forget the things that we have done uh, so that we're not so weighed down by our guilt that we would uh, fear to approach him. Mm. And then sometimes those, those memories will come back later. Uh, they'll come back to us and we remember, oh, I did this thing, but have I confessed that? Oh, I think probably not. And that's okay. You just bring it up in your next confession. And... God's mercy is still at work uh, through all of this, drawing these people back to him. Mm -hmm. In each of the conferences, Father, where we're speaking with Father Michael Donahue, uh, friar at St. Patrick's here in Columbus, there'll be resources available at both conferences to help with that examination of conscience. And there's uh, different ways of approaching it through either the Ten Commandments or virtues and vices. But these are resources while you're standing in line that you can, you know, start to craft your examination so then when you're in front of the priest in confession he's also there to to help mm -hmm. right and and to give you that mercy that forgiveness and to help you walk through the entire uh confession exactly so that you walk out clean mm -hmm. remember that yesterday the the comment uh 
from uh from Colleen, one of the teachers, mm. and uh, yeah, a little boy coming out of the confessional. He's like, "I'm clean." <laughs> <laughs> exactly what it's like, Father. You had mentioned that confession has quickly become one of your favorite aspects of your priesthood. And if you don't mind, I'd love to kind of tap into that a little bit because I'm sure you get a particular insight to the heart of the father being in persona Christi in the person of Christ. And maybe you could just share with us through the eyes of the priest, what, what the father's heart is like in that way as we approach the confessional. Mm Hmm. (laughs) <laughs> sorry it's a it's big a, one <laughs> it's a deep question uh but just oftentimes i'm thinking uh like especially in between confessions i will uh kind of turn there's a frosted glass on the confessional so i can kind of turn and look at the tabernacle and i'm reminding myself this is what it's about i'm supposed to be rooted in christ i'm acting in his person and bringing that mercy to the person who's sitting on the opposite side of the mm-hmm. screen there um and just the fact that um, let's go with this. The fact that they're there in confession means that the Father's mercy has already drawn them there. Mm. Mm. If we do any good work, it is God who is first moving us to that good work. That's just like a, a good principle to keep in mind, but I think that it holds especially true with confession, uh, where these people, they're being moved by God to be freed from their sins. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just astounding time and time again to, to hear these people, even in the midst of struggles, even as, you know, they're, they're going through whatever, or they're dealing with, say, habits of sin that they're, they're struggling to shake, uh, they keep coming back, mm-hmm. which means that God is always at work in their lives. Yeah. And to have the courage to respond to that grace. He's working. Just come. Mm-hmm. Just come to the confessional. Yeah. Exactly. Thanks, Father. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for your priesthood. And yeah, for being here with us in Columbus and uh, giving us these opportunities for grace. Absolutely. So, can you leave us with your blessing? Sure. May Almighty God bless all of you here and all of you who are listening. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Michael Donahue, a friar at St. Patrick's Parish here in Columbus. I'm sure there's information Um, either on the parish website or on this thing we call the internet about the uh, jubilee uh, of St. Thomas Aquinas. Coming up tomorrow, we have Kayla Elric, principal at St. Mary's in Lancaster, and a Dominican sister aspirant, Kristen, will be with us here in the cafe. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, a world without end. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. See you tomorrow.